Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. I often start off my sermon with a question to get us thinking about the direction that God wants to speak us, uh, speak to us in. And so today my question is this. How do you feel about somebody giving you advice? How do you feel when somebody tells you how to do something? Now, that's kind of a vague general question. You say, well, it depends. If you've asked for advice, if you've asked someone to tell you how to do what to do, it's one thing. But how about if you're not asking for advice? How many of you have kind of a negative reaction to that like I do? You're not asking for advice or whatever. You know what you're doing and somebody's trying to tell you what to do. Especially if it's they're trying to tell you to do something that you don't want to do or you know it's not the right thing. I mean, if it's an area that you're an expert in and you know that they don't know very much about and they're trying to tell you what to do. Yeah, that brings a negative response, doesn't it? But we're going to see that happening in our story today. You know, we don't like it when people give us unsolicited advice, unsolicited instructions. There's a number of reasons. Sometimes we may need it, but we don't want to admit that we don't know what to do. or We don't know the information. We don't know the answer. Sometimes it's because we don't like to admit that we need help. We like to be self-sufficient. We like to be independent. But in our story today, we're going to see Jesus who is a carpenter turned teacher trying to tell Peter, a guy who's been a fisherman his entire life, makes his living at it, knows everything about it that there is to be known how to fish. That's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. And the title of my message today is, At Your Word, I Will. At Your Word, I Will. It's actually a quote from Peter. And his response to Jesus and some of the things that Jesus tells him and requests of him. And we'll get into that in just a moment. The background to our story today, in case you haven't been part of our uh, jumping into this season of, of looking at the story of Jesus um, from the Gospel of Luke, is after we deal with all the stuff that deals with um, Jesus' birth and all that kind of thing, we don't hear very much at all until Jesus shows back up on the scene when John the Baptist, Baptist is baptizing people. And so then Jesus begins his ministry. And we've had a couple of messages that's talked about him preaching in his hometown where unfortunately he was rejected. And then him preaching and teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum where he was overwhelmingly accepted and he did miracles. And uh, that night... People gathered all around the house where he was staying and he worked late into the night ministering to people and healing people and helping people. And then he leaves that to begin teaching and preaching from city to city to city. And so he's been traveling and healing and preaching and teaching and he's had some interaction with the guys that are going to become his disciples, but they have not yet left everything to travel with him. He's met many of them. They've met him. They've had some interaction. In fact, the house that I said that Jesus had stayed in was actually Simon Peter's house. And when they first got there, Jesus healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. 
And so they've had some connection. They've had some interaction. But the disciples are not yet following Jesus full time. But that's what we're going to see in our story today. The call of Jesus on a group of them when they finally decide to leave everything and go and be with him. So we're going to jump in and take a look at this story. And we're going to see that in this story, Jesus makes three requests of Peter. Jesus makes three requests of Peter. So first of all, let's look at the first request. Jesus makes a simple request. A simple request. It doesn't cost much. It doesn't require much from Peter. But it's just a very simple request. Look at Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's the same thing as the Sea of Galilee. It's got a number of different different names. He's been preaching and teaching in the synagogues, but now the crowds are getting so big. He's gathering in outdoor places, and the, the seashore is a great place. The people gather there. They say the place where this took, uh, where this happened on the Sea of Galilee, the hills behind it make a great kind of amphitheater. And if Jesus is standing on the shore and is talking in a normal tone of voice, that thousands of people could actually hear him talking without a sound system. And so he's standing on the Sea of Galilee, the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Simon Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. I can just kind of imagine the scene. As we read a little further in the story, we're going to find out that Simon Peter, his brother Andrew, their partners James and John, it seems like they were all part of the same fishing a consortium or whatever. They worked together as a team because fishing back then for a living was not just having a rod and reel and casting it in, catching them one at a time, but it involved these humongous nets that they would string between boats and, dra- boats and drag them and, and gather them together and get the fish. So anyway, these four fishermen, Peter and his brother Andrew, James and John, have been out all night long fishing. That was the best time to fish. It's cooler. The fish go to the top of the water and they eat the insects that land on the water. They, they feed during that time. So in the middle of the night, all night long is the best time to fish. And so this is when the men would go out to fish. During the day, the fish would sink down a lot lower. They would rest. They'd get out of the way of the warmer water on the top of the lake. And so the fishermen have come in from fishing all night long. And we're going to see in just a moment that they fished all night long and didn't catch a single fish. Try to put yourself in their shoes. And how would you feel? Be like being at work and you worked a whole shift. And not only that, but you worked the graveyard shift and you didn't get a thing done that you were supposed to get done. And not only that, you're not going to get paid for it. See, because they were dependent on their fish. That was their income and they had none. I imagine they were all exhausted. They were frustrated. Perhaps even angry. Not at anybody in particular, but just, oh, this is so frustrating. And now they're finishing up their job. Because when they would come in off of the sea, they couldn't just say, I'm going home and go to bed. The fishermen would come in. If they actually got some fish, which they didn't, they would sell it to the people that would take it to the market. And then they would have to prepare for the next night's fishing by cleaning out their nets. As they drug those nets through the sea, it would not only pick up fish, although it didn't this night, it would pick up all kinds of other stuff, vegetation, sticks, 
branches, whatever. Sometimes the nets would get torn, so they would have to clean the nets. They'd have to repair the nets so that the next night, that night, they'd be ready to go out and do it all over again. And so that's what they're doing. And so Peter, I mean, Jesus is standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He's teaching the people. I can just picture Peter, James, John, Andrew off to the side where their boats are, mending their nets, maybe kind of listening in. They already know Jesus. They've had some interaction with Jesus. Hey, yeah, we know him. And uh, let's listen to what he has to say while we're working. You know, sort of like we do sometimes if we're working in a situation where we can listen to music or listen to something else, maybe doing that. And Jesus is on the seashore, and I can imagine the crowd getting so big and wanting to be so close to him, the kind of pushing and pushing and pushing, and he's kind of hemmed in, backed up into the water, maybe even stepping into the water, and he has this idea, hey, listen, why don't I get into the boat, push out a little ways, people can see me, they can hear me, they're not going to follow me into the water. And so that's the first request, a very simple request is, Peter, can I use your boat? You know, can I get it? You push out a little bit and I'll just teach from there. And we don't have Peter's response verbally, but we see he says yes, because he does it. So Jesus gets in the boat. They push him out a little bit and he sits down, which is the typical posture for a teacher in that day. And he's teaching the people on shore. And so there he is. He's sitting in the boat. The people are listening. Peter, James, John, Andrew, they're cleaning their nets, paying attention, tired, can't wait to go home. And Jesus just asked Peter a simple request. Can I use your boat? And Peter obviously said yes. But then we get to a second request that Jesus makes of Peter. And I put it this way. I think you probably agree. Jesus makes a strange request. Jesus makes a strange request. Look at this story as we continue on from verse 4. And when he had finished speaking... Now, let me just stop right there. So what do you think Simon is probably thinking right now? We've been out all night long trying to earn a living. We didn't catch any fish. There's no money today. It's been frustrating. I'm tired. We've cleaned our nets. We're ready to go out tonight and hopefully catch twice as much or something. We need something. But I am ready to go home and go to bed. And if by some chance... Peter and his companions had finished cleaning the nets and repairing them before Jesus finished teaching. He's probably sitting there looking at his watch and, uh, I hope he finishes soon. He's using my boat. I got to put my boat up. I'm ready to go home. I want to go to sleep. And so I don't know how Jesus concluded his messages and his teaching, but maybe he says, let me just make this one last point. Then we're going to pray and go home. But whatever it was, I'm sure Peter kind of perked up and said, yes, all right. When he's done, we'll pull the boat in. We'll go home. We'll go to bed. And so it says, Jesus finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now here's where we get to that point I opened the sermon with. Here is a carpenter turned teacher trying to tell a lifelong fisherman how to do his job. And it's not just the fact that in Peter's mind, Jesus doesn't probably know much at all about fishing. I know about fishing. Okay, I mean, I've been a fisherman my, enti- fisherman my entire life. He probably grew up in a fisherman's family. It was a good occupation. You, you were born into a family like that. You kept on the tradition because it was basically brought a good income in a, in a nation, in a, in a culture where you didn't make very much money. You lived day to day getting just enough money working every day to feed yourself and your family. And here you've got a pretty good job. 
And so Peter's probably thinking, I have been a fisherman my entire life. I know boats. I know nets. I know fish. I know the Sea of Galilee. I know how fishing works. This is not the way it works. Not only that, but he's already tired. He's already cleaned the nets. If he goes back out again and does this, no matter what the result is, he's going to have to clean the nets again. He's going to have to do, and he, he just knows that it's not going to be worth his while. It's going to be a waste of time. They just fished all night long, got nothing. There's no way they're going to get fish now. The fish aren't even close to the surface. They aren't anywhere they can be caught. But Jesus makes this strange request. Put out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. Why did Jesus ask him to do that? Well, it's not related in the story. Um, Jesus knows what's going to happen. Some have proposed that he just wanted to be nice back to Peter. Peter let him use the boat. He's going to let him catch a bunch of, uh, help him catch a bunch of fish to help pay for the use of his boat, make up for this uh, unusual uh, wasted night. Uh, I personally don't believe that that's why Jesus did it because they're not going to benefit from what's going to happen anyway. Some say that, and this is what I believe, that this is one more step in the process that Jesus is using to teach and train Peter and to call him and to develop that relationship and to develop the commitment that they will have to one another. So what happens? Most of you probably already know. You've read this story before. But if you haven't, we're going to read it. Going back to verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. You can say, Lord, I, uh, I can hear him say, I don't want to do this. It's a waste of time. We've already tried. The conditions are even worse. It's not going to do any good. But look what he says next. But at your word... I will let down the nets. The first request Jesus asked of him, we don't have a verbal response. We just know that Peter says, yeah, you can use my boat. Here we have a verbal response, and this is where the title of our message today comes from. At your word, I will. Peter basically is saying this is worthless. It's going to be a lot of work. I don't want to do this. You don't know what you're talking about. But because you say so, I'll do it. Wow. What a response. We go on and we see what happens. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners. Apparently just Peter and Andrew, his brother, went out. And now it's like, hey, James and John, come help us. We can't handle this. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. They began to sink. Peter, thinking Jesus has no clue what he's talking about, and I'm tired, I don't want to do it, I'll do it anyway. Why did Peter do it? I mean, I mean, think about this. This would be sort of like me trying to tell an electrician what to do when he came to work on a problem in my house, or a plumber. I don't know anything about either one of those. What is it? that caused Peter to respond in such a positive way. I mean, this request is not near as simple as, hey, can I use your boat? Sure, get in, I'll push off. This means a lot more work. Why did he do it? 
As I said, they'd already had some contact with each other. If you study the life of Peter, as we've been doing on Wednesday nights, we find that Peter met Jesus a while back, down south, near Jerusalem. His brother Andrew had met Jesus and said, hey, these are the Messiah. So he took Peter to meet him. And, and Jesus said, hey, yeah, your name's Simon. Well, I'm going to call you Peter. Because Peter means rock. He says, you're going to be a rock. You know, just, just a quick meeting, chance encounter. Well, it wasn't a chance encounter, but quick meeting introduced by his brother Andrew. And then they went about their lives. And then Matthew and Mark talk about another time that Jesus was there at the shore while they were actually fishing. It wasn't after they were done fishing, but while they were actually fishing, and they were just fishing from the shore. They had a smaller net. They were tossing it out there, and Jesus had a conversation with them. He says, hey, you know, one day you're going to go be with me, you know? I'm going to make you fishers of men. They'd already heard that message, but there's no indication at that time that they left what they were doing or they didn't do it permanently. It was kind of a call, but it wasn't the final call, and so they'd had that interaction. And then we had the day that Jesus preached in their synagogue and went to Peter's house afterwards and healed his mother-in-law and then healed a whole bunch of other people as they showed up. But now here's a new event. And so Jesus, in whatever he had experienced and whatever he felt, I'm sorry, Peter, in whatever he had experienced and whatever he felt about Jesus and their interactions from before said, you know what? I don't think he knows what he's talking about and I really don't want to do this, but I respect him enough and I care enough about him, I'm going to go ahead and do what he says I should do, even though it will be a waste of time. In other words, he grants Jesus' request, he obeys what Jesus tells him to do, but he does it grudgingly. And the result is something more than he could ever have been have imagined. It seems to indicate in this story that this may have been the best catch of fish Peter has ever had in his entire life. He is totally amazed, and so are the people with him. In fact, as we go on in the story, it talks about that. In uh, verse um, 7, where it says that they came and filled both boats, they began to sink Verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Peter's amazed. Nothing like this has ever happened before in his life. And it's because he grudgingly told Jesus, I'll do what you want me to. Why did he respond? Why did, why did Peter respond the way he did, falling to his knees? I believe it's because he realized that this man named Jesus, that he knew there was something special about him. Obviously, he's been healing people and such like that. But now he's had such a tremendous impact in Peter's own life in an area that he's got all the experience in and things have happened and it's so miraculous that he is so overwhelmed with this Jesus and who could he possibly be? He calls him master. He calls him Lord. By the time this story is over, we don't know for sure exactly how much he really does understand of who Jesus is, but he knows that this man is someone who is powerfully used by God, and God's presence and power is flowing phenomenally in his 
In, in, in and through him, and Peter says, I am not worthy to be around you. I'm just an everyday person. I know I'm a sinner. I mess up. And Lord, you just need to go because I, I don't even deserve to be in your presence. I'm not worthy at all. The thing that Peter doesn't realize is that that's what makes him eligible. That's what makes him prime material to be one of Jesus' disciples. His humility. His recognition that he isn't perfect and therefore he needs what Jesus offers. His willingness to follow and to do what he's asked, even if he doesn't understand, even if he doesn't like it, even if he thinks it's worth, but I'll do. That makes him the prime candidate to be a disciple. And as you may already know, but you'll see as you go through the life of Jesus, he becomes the leader of all the other disciples. But Peter says, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Just leave me. Just leave me. And then we see Jesus makes another request, the third one. Jesus makes a life-changing request. Go back to verse 10. Right after Simon says, do not be afraid. I'm, I'm sorry. Right after Simon says, leave me, I'm a sinful man. It's because they were all astonished. The second part of verse 10 Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. That's why I said I didn't think that Jesus did this just to kind of pay Peter back for the use of his boat because Peter leaves the catch on the shore. You know, it isn't verbalized in the story, Jesus saying, would you come follow me? He just says, from now on you'll be catching men. And they followed him. But we know from other stories that Jesus said, come follow me. And they had a choice. So it was a request. It may have been made as a statement, but it was a, it was a request. Are you going to come follow me? I'm telling you, come on, follow me. And Peter responded once again by saying yes. But he didn't just do it with words. He did it with actions. It says he left everything behind just left it on the shore. Left the boats, left the nets, left the fish. It'd be sort of like somebody giving you a check for $3,000 and then Jesus calls you to go do something but says leave that behind and you just leave it sitting on the desk. You're never going to cash it. Probably the biggest day's income he ever would have had fishing. He leaves it all behind. He leaves behind his family. He leaves behind his occupation. Now, these were all family-owned operations, so he left it with his family, and, and they got to benefit from the fish. They took care of the boats. They took care of the nets. They continued doing the work of fishermen. But Peter says, I'm leaving it all behind because Jesus made a request of me that's life-changing. He says, come follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. So he leaves everything. When you, uh, when you study the life of Jesus, you see that his life is exemplified by obedience to Jesus. Peter didn't always do it right. In fact, as we've been studying his life on Wednesday nights, we see that there are many times he did and said just the right thing with boldness and zeal because Peter's the type of guy, if he gives himself to anything, it's going to be 110%. He's going to give it everything he's got. But when he made a mistake... He gave it everything he got. There was one time Jesus turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan. He wasn't talking 
to Peter as being Satan or being demon-possessed. It's just Peter had said something that Satan was using to tempt Jesus to walk away from his calling. And he recognized the source. But the thing about Peter is that when he got it wrong, he repented and went back forward again. You know, that's really the difference between Peter and Judas. They both betrayed Jesus. They both denied Jesus. They both did terrible things to their relationship with Jesus. But Judas didn't repent. Instead, he committed suicide, whereas Peter repented. And God continued to use him. So as we look at the rest of his life, we see it's exemplified by obedience to Christ. It's exemplified by this attitude of, yes, Lord, at your word, I will. You tell me, I'll do it. We see that it even led to where church tradition and church history tells us that he was put to death on a cross. And even then, he still had that humility. Church tradition tells us that when they were getting ready to crucify him, he made a request of those who would crucify him. He says, please, would you crucify me upside down? I'm not worthy to be die the same way my Savior died. But not only the obedience and the process, we see that Peter became a great fisher of men. God used him on the day of Pentecost to start the church when God poured out his Holy Spirit and crowd gathered and Peter got up and preached and over 3,000 people surrendered their lives to Christ, committed their lives to Christ, became Christians, believers on that day and were baptized. We see him as God uses him to heal people, especially in the book of Acts, the healing of the lame man. We see that God uses him to bring the gospel to the first story we have recorded anyway of Gentiles wanting to come to know Jesus. In Cornelius' house, Acts chapter 10, so many other times that God used Peter to be a fisher of men, to reach people for Jesus. So that's the story. A time when a carpenter turned teacher tried to tell a lifelong fisherman how to catch fish and actually ended up knowing more than the fisherman but not because he was so smart about fishing, but because he's God. So what do we do with this? How do we apply this to our lives? And I just came up with a couple of questions I want us to contemplate today as we look back at this story. Questions that you have to answer for yourself. And the first question is this, who do you think Jesus is? Now, can I tell you that whoever you think Jesus is or whoever you think he isn't, it doesn't change who Jesus is. Okay, the Bible is clear. If you believe the Bible, the Bible is clear that Jesus is God himself forever existing into all time past, will exist forever into the future, who came to earth and took on human flesh, became human. And he did a lot of stuff, all the things we've talked about today. He said a lot of things. He was a great example. He was a great teacher. The world would be a lot better if they would just follow his teachings. The world would be a lot better if you just follow half his teachings. And that's the way a lot of people look at Jesus. Well, a lot of people people say the Bible says Jesus is God. I don't think he's God, but boy, he sure was a great man. He said some great things. We really should try to keep his teachings, you know, and we should try to follow his example and look at how he was willing to sacrifice himself for other people. You know, all these things, but I I don't know that he's God. Maybe he was a special man from God. Maybe God's spirit was on him in a special way. That's all true, but he was God himself come in the flesh. So whatever you think about who Jesus is, that doesn't change who he is, but what is important is who you think he is. 
And I would tell you that that's probably one of the most important, if not the most important question you will answer in your life. And not just in your life, but for your eternity. Because the Bible makes it clear that it's as we recognize Jesus for who He is and for what He's done that He came to earth not just to be a good example, not just to be a good teacher, not just to give us some principles to live by that will make the world a little bit better place, but He's God come in the flesh to live the perfect life that we cannot live, to die on the cross. And that was not a mistake. That wasn't a sidetrack. That wasn't the enemy, um, you know, putting an end to God's original plan. It was the original plan. Jesus came to die to pay the price for our sins. He said himself, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And that is why it is so important to answer this question. Who do you think Jesus is? In this story, if you were to ask Peter that on this day, his answer would probably change depending on what time of day it was. I mean, first thing that morning, he's coming off the sea. He's cleaning his nets. Jesus walks up. All this crowd gathers. Jesus is beginning to teach. Peter's probably paying attention to it while he's cleaning his nets. Then he lets Jesus use his boat to get out away from the shore. Still probably listening while he's cleaning his nets, repairing his nets. You ask Peter then, who do you think Jesus is? Well, I mean, he's obviously a good teacher. Look at this crowd. And you know what? He, he must be pretty special. I mean, I've met him before. He stayed in my house. I've seen him heal people, you know. And so, you know, God is at work in his life. God's working through his life, you know, power, you know. And, and, and then when Jesus, you know, tells him to go out into the deeper area of the lake and let down his nets again, and the events that follow after that, he calls him master, which means like boss, the guy that's in charge. But he also calls him Lord. And that word Lord is used a couple different ways in the scripture. It's used to refer to the Lord God. It's also used as a title of respect, sort of like saying, sir, which way does Peter mean it here? I think he means it's kind of somewhere in between, like, sir, I have a lot of respect for you. I just wonder who you are in relationship to God. God's at work in you. What, 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 who are you? But throughout the day, Peter's view of who Jesus is is changing. And as we continue to study the life of Peter, which we've been doing on Wednesday nights, if you've missed that, you can go back and listen to him online. We've got them all on our website. They're not by video, but by audio. We see that there's this growing awareness in Peter of who Jesus really is. Until God uses him to bring that great revelation, this kind of the turning point for all the disciples and for what God, what Jesus is doing when they go off on a retreat and they're sitting possibly around a campfire. In fact, it was portrayed in a video clip we showed last week for Easter. And Peter said, and Jesus asked him, well, who do people say that I am? Different ones are offering different answers. Well, some say, you're a great man of God. Some say you're a prophet. Some think you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some say you're Elijah, come back. Because there have been prophecies that Elijah would come back before the Messiah. And he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're right. You didn't come up with that on your own. God revealed it to you, but you're right. Jesus is the one that the whole nation 
was waiting for, was looking for. His relationship would continue to change and deepen and grow. He did come to recognize him as Messiah and Son of God. But again, I ask you this question. Jesus has been involved in your life to some degree. If he hadn't, you wouldn't be here today. I mean, even if it's just like, well, I went to church today, and I don't know why you came today, but, you know, uh, my spouse wanted me to come, so I came. You know, somebody invited me, so I came. Whatever it is, you're here. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus has had some kind of interaction with you. You've had some kind of interaction with Jesus. And I would ask you, who do you think Jesus is? Because that's the most important question you need to answer. I hope. I pray. That you come to the same conclusion of what the Bible teaches and that Jesus is God come in the flesh to die for the sins of the world and that those who put their trust in Him and look to Him as Savior and Lord can have their sins forgiven and be in right relationship with God for all eternity. Do you know Him as Master? Do you know Him as Savior? Do you know Him as Lord? And I challenge you today, if you have not yet made that decision. You've not yet responded to the tugging in your heart, God working in your heart, drawing you to himself to surrender your life to Christ, to ask him to forgive you of your sins based on what he's done, not on what you're trying to do. I encourage you to do that today. I encourage you to do that today. Now, for many of us, we'd say, we believe what the Bible says about you. We know he's God. You know, he's God come in the flesh. He came to die for our sins. He's Savior. He's Master. He's Lord. I got a second question for all of us. In what area or areas of life do you think you know more than Jesus? Now, I can hear some of your minds thinking, not literally, but, well, none. Obviously, he's God. He knows everything. He knows more about everything than I know. You would look at this story and you'd ask Peter, What's an area of Peter's life that you think you know more than Jesus? is fishing. Because he spent his life doing it. Jesus doesn't know much of anything about it. And when Jesus asks him to go fishing and it's not the right time, the right place, it's like, mm, this really isn't the way to go about it. But okay, Jesus, I don't want to, but I'll do it. But when I ask you that question, in what areas of life do you think you know more than Jesus? As I said, maybe your first response was none because Jesus is God. But can I tell you in a very practical way, any area of life in which I'm not obeying him and I'm not following his lead and I'm not doing what he asks of me must be an area where I think I know better than Jesus. But it's not just me, it's you too. You may say, hey, I believe Jesus knows everything, you know, and and he's the authority, he's God, obviously. But you know what? If there is an area of life that God has been dealing with your heart, He has spoken to you about in His Word. He's spoken to you about in your heart about how to apply His Word. And you're not obeying Him? What you're essentially saying is, I think I know more than God. I think I know more than Jesus. So, what area of life do you think you know more than Jesus? You see, we have a tendency to kind of compartmentalize our lives. You know, if we recognize Jesus, acknowledge Jesus at whatever, well, Jesus is good for church. Jesus is good for spiritual stuff. Jesus is good for when we have devotions. Jesus is good for this, that, and the other. But, you know, everyday life, I got, I got it under control. Okay? Unless I get a problem, then I'm going to go to Jesus. (laughs) 
You know, we don't want to follow his instructions, but then we get a problem. It's like we want him to fix it. That's a whole other sermon. I want to tell you something. You, you may or may not believe it, but Jesus knows more about your business than you do. Jesus knows more about your marriage than you do. And I don't mean just the details, but I mean what needs to happen and what should happen and what can make it the best possible thing and what, what can solve your problems and what can help work things out. He knows more about your family than you do. He knows more about your work situation than you do. He knows more about what you're dealing with in school than you do. He knows more about your studies than you do. But don't ask him to give you the answers on your tests. He expects you to study and work hard, okay? Jesus knows more about your finances than you do. Jesus knows more about your lifestyle than you. Jesus knows more about your future than you do. But yet there's so many things that Jesus may speak to us about that we don't want to follow because we think we know better. It doesn't seem to make sense to us or we don't believe it's going to work. Let me give you just a couple of simple examples, but there's so many. It involves every area of life. I can't love my enemies. I tried that one time and I got hurt worse. I can't just forgive people that hurt me. They'll take advantage of me. I can't lay my life, my life down for my wife. It may not work out right. I can't for you ladies, lay down my life for my husband. It, it, it's, it's just not going to work. I can't claim that income on my tax return. They get enough of my money. Tax day was last week. Either you did it or you didn't. Okay, I'm just saying. Unless you get audited. Anyway, you can't be honest and make it in business. That's just a good way to starve. I can't give generously to God's work. I can't give generously to missions off of what I make. If I do that, I won't be able to pay my bills. I can't be involved in that ministry and fill in the blank. I can't surrender to God's call in my life. I just don't think it would work. I can't. What areas is it that God has spoken to you, again, by his word or the application of his word? His spirit's been speaking to you about how you need to apply a certain principle or something that he's talked about in his word, and you say, I can't, I can't. And it doesn't matter what the excuse, it doesn't matter what the reason, but if God is speaking to you and you say, I can't, and that keeps you from following through, then basically you're saying, I know more than you do, Jesus, in this area anyway. We don't like to hear that. I just really feel like that's something God wants to stir in our hearts and make us think about. Why do we do what we do and why do we not do what we don't do in relationship to what God's speaking to us about? One of my favorite passages of Scripture, and I've got bunches of them, that applies to this is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Now, it doesn't say that you should never use your knowledge and understanding and common sense. God gave those to us. It says don't lean on them. Don't put your trust on them. Don't put your full weight on them. Use what knowledge you have. Use what intelligence you have. Use what common sense you have. Some of us have more than others. Use all of that. 
But if you take all of that and you line it up against what God says, and God says something different than your knowledge and your understanding and your common sense or advice from other people says something that's opposite or different from what God says, it says, trust in God. He knows what he's talking about. And if you do that, God's going to work it all out. Doesn't mean life's going to be perfect, problem-free, anything like that. There's still going to be difficulties. We live in a sinful, fallen world. We're still going to make mistakes and suffer from it. Other people are going to make mistakes we had nothing to do with. We're going to suffer from it. But God will be at work in and through it if we trust in him and do what he tells us to do. And the Bible makes it very clear. Even when we got to go through difficult times, God will bring good out of it if we follow his plan. The third and last question to contemplate today is what is your response to Jesus today? What is your response to Jesus today? We've been focused on Peter's second response. It's vocalized. We have the words, at your word, I will. Or Jesus, you tell me to, I'll do it. He probably didn't use those exact same words when Jesus said, hey, can I borrow your boat? He pushed it out a little bit. I'll get in it, teach from there. Obviously, Peter agreed to it verbally, non-verbally, whatever. He said, yes. But he could have said, if you tell me to, I will. At your word, I will. That was his response in the second situation where he's very hesitant, doesn't think it's going to make any difference, but he says, well, Jesus, <laughs> I don't want to do this. But if you tell me to, I will. At your word, I will. We don't have recorded a specific request of Jesus saying, hey, I want to make you fishers of men. You're going to be great fishers of men. Will you come follow me? But obvious from, G- uh, from Peter's reaction and actions... He responded, at your word, I will. (laughs) You invite me, I'm coming. You tell me, I'll do it. Each one required a little bit more commitment. It cost a little bit more to where at the very end of following Jesus, he left everything behind. Total commitment, total surrender. From just a simple little thing, you can use my boat for half an hour, 45 minutes, however long Jesus preached and taught. to something where Peter says, I will leave everything to follow you and do what you want me to do. He didn't understand. He didn't agree. But he obeyed. Talking about that second situation. Can I tell you that that's a great definition of faith? We may not understand. We may not even agree. But we've decided we're going to do what God says to do. That's faith. That's because we trust God more than we trust ourselves. We trust God more than what culture tells us. We trust God more than what our intelligence tells us. We trust God more than what anything tells us. That's faith. One preacher I really like to listen to and I greatly respect says, faith is basically trusting God enough to do what he says. Another thing that's really interesting about faith that I think is illustrated in this story, and I meant to put it on the PowerPoint and I forgot. Faith is more than what you say, it's what you do. You can say anything. You can agree with anything, or at least look like you're agreeing, but it's not until you actually do something that demonstrates that you truly have faith. So that question, what's your response to Jesus today? Well, response to what? To whatever he's dealing with your heart about. 
If you're one of those that I mentioned a while ago that you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you've, you've never decided to put your trust and your hope and your faith in him for your salvation, that's the big thing right there is what kind of relationship are you going to have? Jesus calls you to accept the gift of salvation that he makes available to you. What's your response going to be? Are you going to put it off a while longer? You're going to think about it a while longer? Is today the day? God would like today to be the day for you to surrender your life to Christ. For all of us, what might God have been dealing with your heart with about? In fact, some of you may be sitting there and you wouldn't tell anybody. You might not tell anybody. Maybe you will. I don't know. But you're saying, you know what? God's been dealing with my heart this whole last week about something. And now he's hitting me over the head with a hammer. Not literally. And God doesn't want to hurt you. I'm just saying, this is exactly what I've been dealing with this week. I've been resisting doing what I know God wants me to do in a relationship, at work, at school, in your marriage, with your finances, with some aspect of your lifestyle that you know is not what God says he has for you. Too often, we allow our responses to be defined by, well, yeah, I'll say yes if it doesn't inconvenience me or it doesn't inconvenience me too much. It's kind of the first thing Jesus asked of Peter. He says, can I use your boat? Oh, sure. (laughs) Doesn't cost me anything. Not that big a deal. I'll push it out from shore. Just a little shove. No big deal. But the rest of them cost something. The last one, it cost everything. We may restrict our response to Jesus. Well, if it doesn't cost me something, it doesn't cost me too much. If I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. If I don't have to change too much. You know what? Jesus is God. He's master. He's Lord. He's Savior. We need to say, at your word, I will. At your word, I will. I'm not saying that's easy. I I think we need to have that same attitude that Peter has. Lord, I don't know that I agree (laughs) with what you're asking me to do. I don't even see that it makes much sense. But at your word, I will. I don't understand why you're asking me to do this. But at your word, I will. I'll do it. See, that's a big decision to make. That's a big commitment to make. Yes, it is. But what do you do when you have a relationship with God? Either he's God and you're God and you're Lord or he's not. But, but can I just throw this in there? Jesus does wonderful things in and through those who say yes to him. Look at this tremendous catch of fish that Jesus was basically just using as a, you know, something to, to, to teach Peter and to, to, to illustrate, you know, who he was and all that kind of stuff. And, and as I said, Peter left it all behind, but still, he brought him. Can you, can, I, I can imagine Peter later in life. You know, it may not have benefited from the catch of fish unless the family sold him and sold it and gave him some of the money. We don't know, but I could imagine him later in life saying, I was a follower of Jesus and, and I became one of those that went out and preached the gospel. I'm, I'm totally happy with that. You know, it's, it's great. It's wonderful. But I remember when I was a fisherman and kind of reminiscing about the old days and telling his story to others. And I remember the biggest catch I ever experienced. It had nothing to do with me. It was all Jesus. Jesus does wonderful things in and through those who say yes to him. We're all in a process. We're all in a 
uh, in a process of growing in our relationship with Jesus, whether we're approaching that point where we need to start one or we've already started it, maybe it wasn't that long ago, and we're learning and we're growing from there. We all struggle with saying yes to Jesus. I mean, I've known Jesus for 52, almost 52 years now, according to my reckoning. There's times I still struggle to say yes because I don't understand, because I don't want to, because it costs too much, because it's an inconvenience. And it's something we'll struggle with the rest of our lives. And that's okay. What's important is how are we going to end up responding to Jesus? What are we going to say? No, not this time. Or, okay, Lord, I don't like it. I don't understand it. That makes sense. Don't want to. Cost too much. It's inconvenient. But, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll do what you want me to do. So today, I'd ask you, where is an area, what is an area maybe where God's speaking to you that you need to surrender to Jesus' lordship? I had this thought come to me as I was saying, what is your boat? All these things had to do with Peter's boat. Just a simple use of it for a short period of time. Doing something with it I really don't want to do. Or just leaving it behind. What is your boat this morning? that God is speaking to you about. And the last thought about this is that maybe it's not just an area, a specific area you need to surrender, but just surrendering yourself. Just saying, Jesus, you know, I I know you, I love you, I'm trusting in you for my salvation, but I've never ever just said, Jesus, whatever you want, here I am. I've kind of held back a little bit. I've kind of, you know, resisted a little bit. But Jesus, I just want to give you everything. Whatever it means, whatever it costs. We get a little scared because we see Jesus calling Peter, and Peter lives, leaves everything behind. He leaves family behind. He leaves, uh, when I say, I don't mean he leaves his wife behind. He, they're still in relationship. Uh, later, it talks about how she traveled with him when he preached, and, when he was preaching and stuff, you know, and all that. But I'm talking about he leaves everything from the past behind And we're afraid Jesus is going to ask us to do that. You know, there's kind of a joke going around when I went to Bible college. It's like, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but don't send me to Africa. Whatever your Africa is, Lord, I'll do, but don't do that. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't call everybody to leave their occupation and, and all that kind of stuff behind. He did the 12, and there were others that followed also. But he does call all of us to surrender everything to him and to be willing to do whatever he wants us to do. I want to conclude with two examples we see in Scripture of people doing this besides Peter. We've already looked at one earlier in our study of Luke, and that is Jesus' mother Mary. When the angel Gabriel showed up and said, hey, you're highly favored by God, God's going to use you, He's going to, you're going to become pregnant, you're going to become the mother of the Son of God, the heir to David's throne, all these wonderful things that the angel said. And she was like, I don't understand how that can be. I'm a virgin, <laughs> and I've, made, I've taken the purity pledge, and I, you know, I don't know. And the angel says, God's going to bring it about by his Holy Spirit. And Mary's response, she said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She said basically the same thing Peter did. At your word, I will. Whatever you say, God. 
And you might say, you know what? Well, God can ask those things of us, but what did God ever do? Well, that's kind of a silly question. I think we all realize that. But do you realize that Jesus had the same attitude? Jesus came here to earth specifically to die. He knew what was going to happen. And when it got closer and closer and closer, I'm sure the pressure built until that night before he was betrayed, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. What's he praying for? God, give me the strength. He's God, but he's human. He knows what's going to happen in the next 24 hours with the unjust treatment. The trial is basically a farce. The condemnation of the people. The scourging and the crucifixion, the pain, the agony, not just physically, but spiritually as his father turns his back on him because he bears the sins of the world. We can't even imagine what that must have been like. But what does Jesus say in the Garden of Gethsemane? My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. God, I don't want to do this. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He says, Lord, at your will, at your word, I will. I'll do it. I don't want to, but I'll do it. I know this has been a challenging, challenging message. But I want to challenge you to respond by saying, yes, Lord. Whatever it is he's dealing with your heart and whatever he's dealing with your heart about, whatever it is you've been wrestling with, that you say, yes, Lord. Let's all stand together. I'm going to invite Pastor Jay and my wife to come and our elders to come. We've not done this for a couple of weeks because of Easter and missions convention and such, but our worship team is going to sing a song here in just a moment. You're welcome to sing along and to worship. If you need prayer for anything, even totally unrelated to the message, I encourage you to come and we will pray with you about that. Or if you want prayer for somebody else, you know, you care about someone, you need your aware, you want us to join with you, we'll do that. But the main number way I want you to respond, but it's up to you whether you will or not, is to say, God, that thing you've been dealing with me about, today, I'm going to say yes. It's not going to be easy. I may not like it. I may not understand it. It may not seem to make sense to me. But you've spoken very clear to me. I'm going to say yes. So we're down here to pray with you. If you'd like that, let's worship together and I'll come back and close in prayer in just a couple of moments. I had no idea what song they would sing for our concluding song this morning. But as I was standing down there, but that last phrase, because you're with me, I will not fear. It just came to me. Whatever God asks us to do, whatever Jesus asks us to do, he is always with us. He's always with us. On the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus was right there with Peter. As I was studying for this message, many Bible scholars, it doesn't say, so we don't know for sure, but they say that they believe that Jesus was actually still in the boat and never said he got out. That had done teaching, he was sitting there and said, Hey, Peter, come on. Let's go out. Let's cast the nets. Jesus very well may have been right there with them in the boat. And of course, when he called Peter to be a fisher of men, he went to be with Jesus the whole time. Whatever you may face, when you choose to say, Yes, Lord. 
He's not going to say, okay, great. I'm pushing you out of the nest you're on your own. He's some there with you, and I'm going to help you. And so as we close in prayer and we leave this place, I want you to go forth with that assurance, with that confidence, and with that joy that whatever I face this week, I've made the decision I'm going to do what God asked me to do, but I know that he knows what's best and he's going to be with me in it and he's going to help me with it. Lord, we love you today. We thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. We thank you for speaking to us once again. Father, I pray you continue to speak to us. We need guidance every single day. And Lord, for the decisions that we've made today, for those that have said, yes, Lord, at your word, I will. If you've told me, I'm going to do it. It may not be easy. I may not understand, but I'm going to do it. God, I pray that for myself. Help me to walk closely with you. Help me to follow you closely. Help me to obey you in every area. And Father, I thank you that all you want to do is pour out your love, your joy, and your peace, your blessings in my life and in these lives of those who surrender to you, Lord God. Guide us and lead us this week. And I pray that people would see stuff in our lives and hear things in our words. And as you prompt us, as we say things about you, that would cause them to want to know the Jesus that we know. And Father, we thank you and we praise you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 